such an exciting series. And the reason I'm excited about it is because Romans is absolutely my favorite book of the Bible. If you want a snapshot of everything God has to offer to humanity and everything else around us, read the book of Romans. And so we get the pleasure of traveling through the book of Romans all through the summer. And what I'd encourage you to do as we pray and get started in the series is get engaged in the word. So the word is, uh, is often referred to as a double-edged sword. And if you leave a double-edged sword in its scabbard, in the sheep, it really doesn't do you any good, does it? Draw the sword. Pull the sword out and sharpen it as we get together in this word and dig into it, pull it apart. We're going to be doing what's called expository teaching. It sounds like a big churchy word, but basically here's what it means. We're going to take the scripture and tear it apart, and we're going to look deep inside it. Think of it as eating a nice big hot bowl of beef stew. You want to savor every bite, don't you? When you get into the scripture at this level, what you're going to do is take a snapshot of all the concepts that God would share with us around his grace and his love in Romans. So I invite you to open your phone or your Bible. Pull it open to Romans chapter 1. Don't miss the opportunity to grow in the spirit in this way. Let's go ahead and pull up into Romans chapter 1, and then I'd invite you to pray with me as well. Dear God, thank you so much for the letter to the Romans. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his enduring faith. Also want to thank you, God, that Paul was a tough character. Paul did some really bad stuff. And even as a Christ follower, he struggled with sin. He put that in the record in the book of Romans. And God, that does my heart good because I know that even as a human struggling with sin, you have forgiven me through Jesus. And you've got so much of your character in your heart to share with me in this letter. So God, as we get started in this series, I ask that you just mess with my life. Mess with my heart and my mind. Change the way I think about things. Change and challenge the way I feel about things so that I may become more of yours, more a member of your kingdom. God, come and speak now through this great letter and through the life of the Apostle Paul to me and to those around me. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so we're going to open up the scriptures and look at Romans, and we're going to dive deep, and that comes with the reading that Sarah would have just done a couple of minutes ago, which was a snapshot of the full reading for this morning. And in fact, if you are pulling your phone or your iPad or your low-tech version of both of those, the good old-fashioned Bible that you can write in, what it invites you to do is just scan the first chapter of Romans. Look at the whole first chapter. Let your eyes scan down through all the language. What you're going to find right off the bat is the Apostle Paul does not lack for verbiage. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say. And here's the reason why. The Apostle Paul was a learned scholar in the Jewish faith. He was kind of a higher up, an elite student, an elite disciple of the Jewish faith. And in fact, he was so good at the Jewish faith that they promoted him up through the ranks. And as he was promoted up through the ranks, he was given the job of finding heretics, pulling them out of their homes, and putting them into prison for spreading heresy. 
And the heresy he was combating was brand new infantile Christianity. These were people who were brand new Christians in a brand new following of Jesus that lived together in Christian community just a few decades after Jesus walked the earth, died, went to the grave, ascended from the grave, and rose from the grave, and then ascended into heaven. So just within a few decades, the Apostle Paul was walking the earth and was persecuting Christians. But something happened to the Apostle Paul as he was persecuting them. The story goes that as he was on the road to Damascus in Syria to go about his work persecuting Christians, Jesus struck him off his horse and made him blind. If you remember this story, you'll also remember that Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul directly. And what he said to him was, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now what does persecuting mean? It means that you are deliberately trying to hurt or curtail someone's life because of their faith. Paul was so good at being a Jew and being a good, a good Jewish leader that he was finding Christians, capturing them, men, women, and children, putting them in jail, and persecuting them for their faith. But then God got a hold of him. Jesus literally knocked him off his horse, changed his life, and turned him into one of the greatest proponents of Christianity of all time. When Paul was before Christ in his B.C. days, Paul persecuted the church much like the emperor Claudius did. History records that in the 40s A.D., which means, by the way, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord. The year of Domini, our Lord. The Emperor Claudius found that Christians and Jews in Rome, where Paul had not visited the church yet, this was before uh, he became the Apostle Paul that we know today, the Emperor Claudius kicked out all the Jews from Rome because they were squabbling with Christians about the new faith that Christians were encountering and starting to grow together in community there in Rome. So Paul shared this history of persecuting Jews with the Emperor Claudius. And in fact, as the Jews were expelled from Rome, and we believe that somewhere around the year 49 AD, as the Jews were expelled from Rome, something incredible happened. Gentiles, or non-Jewish people, began to discover the faith of Jesus and bind together as a church. So when Paul began to minister to them, there were as many Gentiles there in the church in Rome as there were Jews. In fact, there were even more Gentiles there because Jews were only just returning after they'd been expelled from Rome by Claudius. But something interesting happened in the life of Paul as he was being called into ministry and empowered to move forward for the church. In fact, the scripture in Acts chapter 23 records it like this. One night as the Lord stood by him said to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul was always supposed to go to Rome. He had been to Jerusalem. Around the time of his conversion, he went back and started to preach and raise up people in Jesus Christ. 
But God always, always had it for Paul to go to Rome. In fact, the scripture says that he intended to go to Rome, but instead ended up writing a letter to them because he was present, prevented by the Holy Spirit from going at that particular time. Now, why was he prevented? We know that no one was physically holding him back. He was prevented at that time because he was ministering in other places. We believe at the time he wrote Romans, he was ministering in Corinth, which is where the letters to the Corinthians are directed, right? And he had an assistant there by the name of Phoebe. Phoebe was what's called a deacon. In the early church, you have several different serving roles. You have pastors, teachers, you have deacons, you have people who are helping with physical needs while there are people helping with spiritual needs. Phoebe was a great leader in the early church. She was tasked with carrying the letter Paul wrote to the Roman church, whom he'd never visited before, and delivering this letter on behalf of the Apostle Paul. And in fact, history records that she did that and they did receive the letter. But here's what happened when Paul finally arrived in Rome some years later, after the letter had gone before him. Scripture says he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He rented a house. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, if you're taking notes on your phone, your iPad, or you're writing notes into your scriptures, I want you to take note of how Paul received people into his rented home under which he was at house arrest at his own expense. How did he receive them? He received them into his home and welcomed them. What I want you to make a note of is hospitality. Even under duress in Rome, Paul received people who might have heard his letter read in the churches who wanted to come and visit him as pastor, he received them under house arrest, under a bit of duress in Rome, and he welcomed them. So somewhere in your margin or your phone, your iPad or piece of paper, write down the words, welcomed them, and or hospitality. Now this scripture is kind of cursory to the letter of Romans that we're studying. We're studying this from the book of Acts, which by the way, you can see a written record of everything that Paul did in his New Testament journeys that is recorded in Scripture, synopsized there in the book of Acts. But as you flip back to the book of Romans and go back to chapter 1, you begin to see the context of the kind of lifestyle that Paul was living after he was converted. Before he was converted, he was a powerful elite, a teacher, a leader, a disciple of the Jewish faith. After he was converted, Paul was imprisoned and struggled and was persecuted. But as he shared the good news of Jesus, whether through written form or in person and preaching, he shared the good news of Jesus with everyone. And in particular, those included Jews and Gentiles. Because when the Jews were expelled from Rome, who had a chance to grow in the church? The outsiders, those who didn't belong. The Gentiles grew in the church. And when the Jews returned, they joined the Gentiles in one faith, in one church. Scripture records that Paul wrote to them all and received them all into his home. He practiced hospitality and welcomed them. 
I want to read through the beginning of Romans chapter 1. If you're looking at Romans 1 with me, just scan through the scriptures I read it. Scripture says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, Jesus, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Do you see him talking about the audience he's speaking to? This is kind of the introduction to the letter, which is why I'm reading it to you. This is Paul saying hello in the way the Greeks would have, with a lot of verbiage that sets up a reason why he's getting ready to write this letter. He is justifying the terms he's getting ready to use in the introduction. He says, by Jesus, through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then he says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace, which was a Greek greeting, a greeting that the Gentiles would have accepted and received from him, and peace. This is the word shalom that the Jews would have received as a greeting. Whenever Paul says grace and peace, what he's doing is he's greeting the Gentiles and the Jews that he's getting ready to write to and or speak to. He is inclusive of everyone, his own native people, the Jews, but also the Gentile Romans, with whom he shared citizenship in Rome. He was including them all in the letter, and he was welcoming them in his presence as he was under house arrest just a few years later. You see Paul's posture toward the Romans, both Jews and Greeks who were coming into the church. He was welcoming them. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. How can someone's faith be reported all over the world? Because faith begets action. Faith causes change. Faith makes stuff happen. And that news of stuff happening was traveling all over the known world. In uh, verse, uh, verse 9, Paul says, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Now remember, why didn't Paul come to them? It's not because he was arrested and couldn't necessarily leave where he was. He simply wasn't finished with the group he was ministering to at the time. The Holy Spirit had not prompted him to move and to change. See, in our faith, we listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit informs those to whom we are to serve and sets us up with the way to serve them. When we talk about friends, neighbors in our neighborhood, co-workers at work, family members at home, being in our lives for, for a specific reason so that we together can bind together and grow as members of the kingdom of God, 
those relationships are set there on purpose by God's Holy Spirit. We are called together into those relationships for purposeful reasons. And that's so our faith can grow. Look at what Paul says when he says, uh, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. This is uh, the beginning of the reading that Sarah done a little bit earlier. Look at the scripture a little bit closer with me. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That sounds like the old Apostle Paul, the one who was in a position of authority over the people. But then he reels himself back in and changes his tone. I want you to pay special attention to the posture that changes here. He says that is, in other words, he's correcting himself a little bit here. He says that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about these words as they're written by the Holy Spirit through Paul. Instead of Paul taking a posture that is above the people and commanding the people to grow through his words, what he's, in doing, what he's doing instead is he's calling them to be mutually encouraged with him. Now, here's what that means. This is a concept we call discipleship in the church. What that means is that you and I are called to mutually encourage each other in these ways. If you look up the particular uh, Greek word that Paul uses there, a collection of Greek words that he uses there, you're going to find those words in English rendered this way in a number of scriptures. Exhort, invite, implore, encourage, beg, appeal, urge, comfort, invite, and request. What this means is you and I were always made to mutually encourage each other in the faith, as were the original Roman Christians. So what Paul is saying is he's saying the power of the Holy Spirit does not reside in a person of power in the church disseminating the way things are supposed to be. The power in the church is disseminated through average, everyday, basic people who meet together under the context of sharing their faith and mutually encouraging each other. So every time you get together in debrief time here on Sunday mornings, every time you get together over coffee and donuts out front, every time you meet together in small group in the home, or every time you meet together one-on-one -on -one with somebody out in the community, perhaps somebody that really doesn't even know Jesus yet, there is purpose and meaning in that gathering. And the purpose and meaning of that is so that you can mutually encourage each other. Not that one person who has it all together can share the faith and save another person who doesn't have it all together yet. But the idea becomes that you meet together and you are mutually encouraged. Here's what that means in a nutshell. At Trinity, we like to say this. You can't grow spiritually unless you're, create, unless you're connected relationally. Do it again. You can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. I would add this. For the purpose of mutual encouragement. Not that a person who has it all together is fixing another person who doesn't. 
but so that people who are on very different spiritual planes, no matter where they are, can be a part of the work that God does in growing us together. So yes, Paul wants to meet with them and wants to impart spiritual gifts to them. Basically what that means is getting behind them and under them and lifting them up and encouraging them by what they do really well and having them do that in the name of Jesus. If you serve really well, like even food, serve it in the name of Jesus. If you hang out and are a good friend with somebody really well, hang out and be a good friend to somebody in the name of Jesus. If you do well with having parties in your home, have those parties in the name of Jesus. If you're on the ball field on Sunday morning, like a lot of parents are, because that's the way the schedule is, then be on the ball field in the name of Jesus. Let the name of Jesus permeate every activity so that we can, when we meet together, mutually encourage each other. Here's the reason why. Paul says because of this, in verse 14, if you'll scan on down with me, he says he's obligated to share this message both with Greeks and non-Greeks. The Greeks would be the Gentiles in Rome, right? And the non-Greeks would be the Jews in Rome and others. And then he follows that up and says both to the wise and the foolish. You see, the Greeks, the Gentiles, considered themselves to be wise. They had philosophy and science in their lives, much like the culture we live in, right? And for those who were not considered to be wise or considered to be foolish, people of faith like the Jews or us Christ followers in our culture, right? Considered to be foolish and non-wise. The word of God is for both groups. Those inside the faith and outside the faith. Paul says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And one day he would come and do that. But while he is in wherever he is, we believe Corinth, he's writing to them and preaching to them through written word. And then he drops this favorite set of scripture. Vendetta referred to the scripture as one of her favorites. I echo that and say amen. If you commit any scriptures in the beginning of this message and this series, in the beginning of this series, if you commit any scripture to heart, to memory or to comprehension and understanding. Take a look at this paragraph with me. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel, though he is a Jew and considered non-wise. He's not ashamed of the gospel, which as we learned in our last series, was considered foolishness by the Greek world and by the world we live in. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, the unwise, and then to the Gentile, the wise. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is not by our own works, the things we do or don't do, but is by what? By faith. So what happens is we believe and the full holiness and righteousness of God through our belief is stamped on us as a seal. It's given to us as a gift. And there's no part of that that we have to earn, 
should earn or get to earn. That righteousness is planted in us. It's stamped upon us. It is given to us freely as a gift. It becomes the thing that identifies us. The righteousness of God. So if somebody ever points the finger at you and says, you're foolish for being a Christian because Christians are hypocrites. When you leave this thing today, you're going to go out and sin. I just know you're going to do it. And you can raise your hand and say, you know what? You're right. Because the righteousness of God is not dependent upon my righteousness. It's dependent upon whose? His. And therefore now I am emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, vocationally, financially, and experientially free from the bounds of the world to serve Jesus. My heart is free. It's completely and utterly free. Look back for a second at that word, uh, power of God. That word power, if you dig into the original language of that a little bit, uh, that original language word starts with the same few letters as our word for dynamite or dynamics. When you think about dynamics and music, what do you think about musicians? What are dynamics like in music? Kind of like volume or intensity, right? You see a conductor conducting music, right? And when they're like this, the sound is very small. And then when their arms get really big like this, they want the orchestra to really get powerful right there. The rising and the falling of the music is called dynamics. The beginning of that concept is the same as this word for power. The idea is, the concept is, that power starts small and moves in which direction? Inward or which way? Outward. The power of God starting small and moving outward. Like the good news of Jesus starting small in you and me and moving outward. And then, of course, as we look down toward the bottom, we understand that this righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written in the scripture, the righteous will live by faith. This is how the power of God works. It's in the basic idea that the righteousness I receive from God powers my life. It makes my life work. Listen, if you, on a daily basis, if you doubt who you are, if you doubt the idea that God can use you to share something that is true, that Jesus died for you and me together in community, if you don't believe that you're qualified to share that message through hospitality and being open and welcoming to people who don't know it or don't have a life of it, the good news is you're wrong. You're wrong about yourself. Let me ask you a question. Who knows you better than you? The one who made you. And he's the one who says, not only do I qualify you, but I qualify you and send you out. Qualified. Not by your own righteousness and power, but by whose? His. And if you ever need an example for how this works, look at the Apostle Paul. Paul was wise by the world's standards and used that wisdom to hurt people. 
And then God knocked him off his horse, turned his life upside down, and changed him into the most powerful Bible writer of the late age of the early church. Why would he not do the same for you and me? Why would he not do that same powerful move of God in you and me? The question is, that's the foolish thing, isn't it? God uses you and me to share his good news, the good news of Jesus. So pop quiz at the end of our first message here. How do we receive the righteousness of God? How does it come? Does it come by what we do? How does it come? By faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting and believing in something that you cannot what? See, as the scripture says, right? We trust that God has given that righteousness to us. And we trust that he's taking that righteousness through us. To us and through us. To others who need God. So as we kick this whole thing off, what I hope happens in your life, what I hope you do, what I seriously hope you do, is you take the scriptures and you dive into it with me like this. Look for the meaning of words. Look for the context of the writing. Look for the original point. And then be open-eared and open-hearted as to what God would say to you as he was saying it to them. Your life will change. Take this one thing from today's message. We are made to be connected relationally so that we can grow spiritually together. And that means every one of us. There is no exception. All hands on deck. Every single one of us is called to mutually encourage each other in the faith. Now, how God does that in you is between you and the Holy Spirit. But remember, the Holy Spirit will guide you through this fellowship. The people you look around and see in this room, this is the instrument of the Holy Spirit. So be open to what God is saying to you about mutually encouraging other people. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus. There's nothing I can do to earn that righteousness, not a thing. And in fact, you don't even want me to try. But sometimes, God, I try to do it. I try to earn my way into your kingdom, into your favor, or just by trying to be a good person on my own merits. God, thank you for the good news of Jesus, that as hard as I try, righteousness in you comes through faith in Jesus. And that's the only way. And at the same time, you have created a new life for me, a life that is mutual with others, designed for encouragement and growth. Sometimes I'm tempted to just wall myself off from the world, to turn away from relationships with others, simply because I just want to be alone for a while. And while there's nothing wrong with rest, God, I know there's a temptation there to separate myself from the growth pattern that you've started in me. So God, I pray that you inspire me through this word and the word that's to come through the summer to grow together in mutual encouragement and discipleship as we together are part of what you're doing in the world, growing your kingdom. We pray all this in your name and together we say, Amen. Amen. Amen.